I'm gonna go get water really quick. Sorry, this is I'm pulling a bocker. Huh? What do you say? He's pulling a bocker. He's gonna go get some water. So when Ben comes back, I want Jason to get up and walk out of the room for like five seconds. No, and then I don't Jason want, comes. Hang I don't on. want Ben to be mad at me. Hang on, Jason comes back, and then I want Bill to get up and walk away from the screen. I am down. I'll go first because I know Jason will choke. So okay, yeah. <laughs> I don't need Ben's already being lippy with me. I don't need more of that in my life. Is he being lippy? Yeah, he's giving a good smack. Yeah, digitally. All right, I'm gonna. <laughs> One second, let me. All right, I'm gonna go get some water. No, he's not. No, he's fucking not. <laughs> he could have gone while I was gone. <laughs> The fuck! <laughs> There's your fucking cold open. Is <laughs> anybody else parched? Is anybody else yeah, parched? Actually, hold on, I'll be right back, guys. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I fucking quit. <laughs> and you're living up to your namesake, Mark. You look. You, you look, you look <laughs> Mark, you look dehydrated. Oh, uh, I've got a Gatorade here. Oh, sorry, I had a Gatorade here the whole time. <laughs> oh, okay, got it. Oh, I just forgot, sorry. Mm, nothing says hydration. It matches my Coke. shirt. He's got, he's got another... Uh, Diet uh, caffeine-free Coke. Yeah, it's caffeine-free fucking Coke. That's yep. how you do it, bud. I'm taking next week off. See, I do the zero sugar, zero caffeine, personally. <laughs> okay. Uh, Alright. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Potker. Jason. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. And tonight we are talking about A Quiet Place 2. A Quiet Place 2, coming out in 2021. Go see it, motherfuckers. I'm telling you right now. Uh, is a sequel to 2018's A Quiet Place, in case you didn't know. Uh, a Quiet Place 2 was written and directed by John Krasinski, produced by Michael Bay. Really? That's didn't that's what that. I just found. I was like, holy shit, okay. I think um, he did the first one too, didn't he? Did he Did he produce it? I thought he did. I, I could be wrong. He's, he's executive producer, correct? Like he's just a money guy? I mean, I just see produced by, but I would like oh, yeah. to think that Michael Bay probably, you know, phoned in John occasionally when he's like, hey, man, oh, did for you the put stunts. an explosion in here? And he's like, yes, I had an entire oxygen tank explode on the monster. He's like, good man. I'll check in in a week. <laughs> All um, right. Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. Thank you. Was was the base good on it? I'll do it. Hit your explosion quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so A Quiet Place 2 is starring Emily Blunt, Killian Murphy, uh, Millicent Simons, Noah Jupe, and Jiman Hansu. Did I fuck his name up? You said it's Jaiman Hansu. Jaiman Hansu. Fuck me. Did you say Killian Murphy? I said Killian Murphy. Yeah. That was the second name. That was actually the second name I mentioned. Oh, I missed it. Sorry. I was spacing out. No, it's okay. Um, You know, it'd be like that sometimes. Anyways... Boys, does anyone want to know what the budget is? Yes, sure do. 
Okay, it's $61 million. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. For filming in New England, I feel like that's not too bad. I think it made that. They filmed this movie. It made that back domestically in its first night. Yes. It is already at $79 million. And what? This is the first weekend of it, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's going to do well. It's going to do great. I I saw a fantastic headline that says. it said a quiet place part two's opening box office already beats Tenet's entire run. <laughs> okay, so that is tentatively uh, that's not fair because no, this movie fair. is coming up in this I don't want to say post COVID world, but there's definitely a lot more freedom here to go to the movie theater than there was during Tenet's run, so it's fair. Tenet sucks. <laughs> Tenet does suck. Still haven't seen it. I like it how sucks. you just like no. I like how you just made this like whole excuse for it and then you were like, yeah, right. Tenet sucks. So Jason, <laughs> I'm gonna say this this is the same thing as Never Meet Your Heroes. You love, you love Christopher Nolan. Don't go see Tenet. <laughs> Jason. I want go, you to keep that. I want you to keep that love. Go watch it. It's on HBO Max. Go watch it. No, and then it. we'll do a point five episode where you tell me why you didn't think it sucked, and I'll call you stupid. <laughs> no, just don't see it. Yeah, I'm going to just retain retain the purity of the situation <laughs> and not see it. I'm going to continue to pretend that uh, Christopher Nolan's a good director. So in the event he redeems himself and you watch like that good movie, you could be like, he was great all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Interstellar 2. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I could take more Matthew McConaughey in a sci-fi setting. I'll take it. Okay, Ben, if I'm not mistaken, I believe you're due to tell me what A Quiet Place 2 is about nearly a year after the invasion of an alien race that hunts based on sound takes over the earth the abbott family is forced to leave their home after their father lee is killed protecting them When they make contact with an old family friend, they learn of a mysterious radio signal, and Reagan, the oldest daughter, hatches a plan that could save the whole planet. It's a quiet place, part two. (laughs) Thanks for using your inside voice. That's actually. And now we have to whisper for the rest of the podcast. I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Hey, I just, I just wanted to thank you for coming, watching my channel. If we talk too loudly, well, this isn't fair because Ben, Bill actually plans on making a uh, ASMR fucking YouTube Wait, video someday. Let me, let me finish, let me finish my joke. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. Go ahead, finish your joke. God, if we talk Shh. too loudly, Miller might hear us, and he'll uh. come in and start screaming about the movie. Oh no. Oh wait, we don't like it. That means he likes it. Wait, we don't like this movie. I like this movie. Oh wait, wait no, no, wait, wait, wait. Never mind. Reverse that. I was still yeah. thinking of Tenet. Yeah. Oh god, it's Miller! Hey, are you boys talking about a fucking movie in here? You know how I feel about movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry if you're in your cars. Uh. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So, boys, I'm gonna I'm gonna 
say right off the bat before we get too deep into this, uh, you most of you know, I did not see this movie. Uh, the first one. Sorry. I saw this movie. I didn't see the first one. So um, there's going to be some things you guys might talk about tonight because I feel like this is going to be uh, the Quiet Place one and two podcast. I'm assuming, right? Uh, I mean, you know, we could talk a little bit about A Quiet Place 1, but here, like, there's a lot more to talk about in part two than there is to talk about in part one. Part okay. one is very small. It's it's much more thriller. The idea that, that, these, that these aliens are even aliens at all is just like an offhand mention once. It's like, it's not a thing. Uh, this this movie really yeah. expands upon the universe and what happened with that first day one scene and uh, and then continues to kind of expand on everything. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about in part two, but we, we, we might mention it here and there. OK, all right. Fair enough. Um, not that you have to, like, spoil anything for me, because at this point I know exactly what happens in, <laughs> in the first movie. So, yeah, I think a, a lot of that um, just by virtue of how part two started kind of being like hot on the heels of how part one ended. Uh, I think a lot of, you know, that is spelled out for you. I mean, there's like specific things maybe as they happen in part one that you might not know is going to happen if you're watching part one through, but they, they did a pretty um, solid job, I think connecting it and kind of making it a seamless right into yeah, part like two. Like when they start off on, I still think I'd go back and watch part one, Colin, just to do it. I plan to. I, I I definitely plan to. Um, I feel like with the way that part two started off with, you know, on the farm and everything and the barn is on fire, but the basement is like flooded and all of that stuff. I, I really want to see how that happens. And I think someone mentioned like the nail and everything and the stairs um, and like how everyone's feet are bloody, which honestly makes sense given they're all barefoot. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I definitely want to kind of actually see how it all plays out so so ben you uh you put this on the schedule and i don't think anyone here honestly um disagrees or is angry about it i think everyone here was actually looking forward to seeing this movie um but what about this movie actually made you i don't know i guess wanted to put this on the schedule what about it maybe it's something from the first movie yeah obviously i, I mean, didn't see it so First off, this was on our schedule even uh, back in March of 2020. This was our yeah. first movie that um, got screwed by the pandemic. Uh, this was the second movie to get delayed. Uh, first, it was Bond, which was nowhere near coming out at that point. And I think we've talked about it where I Honestly, laughed. fuck, it's still nowhere near coming out. Right. I, I think we talked about it where I laughed at them. And I'm like, you guys don't need to delay it that far. This thing will end by November. Um, they and absolutely then... <laughs> were right. The broccolis are geniuses. <laughs> yeah, they saw it coming, and um, and then uh, this got delayed after shortly after, because this was a week from coming out before it got delayed. And anyway, the first the first movie, like I said before, is not heavy sci fi at all. It's barely sci fi, and in fact, I don't think it would be right, fully right for us to cover the first one because the first one's really kind of more of a of a thriller than a sci-fi but i think this one introduces a lot more sci-fi elements into it but even still like that's not the important part of this movie the the first movie so the, what's really cool about it and i'm not a family man but i i'm i i'm of, a, of an opinion of like i like stories about families that 
like empower the idea of family. I hate the idea of domestication. I hate the idea of like, you know, we started a family because that's what we're supposed to do. Um, but like, I like, you know, the idea that we start, you know, these John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are two very grounded people. And you could tell that in all of their interviews. And so the first movie is really like this story from John Krasinski. Well, he didn't do the story for the first one. Absolutely, but it's, he still directed it, and he still had a point. He still had a reason why he directed it. Uh, he, there's a, there's something he spo- that spoke to him in the script, and it's it's an ode to his wife, which I thought was really powerful. Not just to his wife, but an ode to the endurance of mothers everywhere. Um, you know, this idea that like I I won't get too into it because it's not a we're not a quiet place part one podcast, but. Uh, it's, she goes through so much Emily Blunt's character in the first movie that, and, and comes out on top, you know, in this super badass moment, uh, working together with her family too. It's not just like, just for her, like she's raising them up. And I, I became so secured in my choice of choosing this movie at the end of Quiet Place Part Two, uh, when Reagan and, uh, Marcus, when Reagan and Marcus are both confronting their own alien at different locations at this point, completely separated, and they're wa- and uh, Emmett's watching Reagan and uh, Evelyn is watching Marcus, and they're seeing these children finally lift themselves up, and it's truly them who save the day, and that was such a a great moment of like using sci-fi to tell a story about raising kids to to ex- to to exist and stand and survive in a cruel world that's like i was like wow that's fucking perfect that's the theme like the theme is you know like yeah like obviously our world is not as horrible as aliens that based on sound eating everyone but it's still pretty bad. And I think that's kind of the point of the film is that like they've, you know, they have now graduated to this point where they can take care of others. Uh, and I, I thought that was a really poignant point because like on the, at the same time, they're not kids anymore. Now it's, it's really sad, but they are now it's, it's their world. Now they've taken it and they're going to, they're going to change it. And I think that's really exciting. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Ben. Uh, I Jason, I know. I'm sorry. You, I, that's okay. Jason, I know you had a, a thing you wanted to say there. So, Yeah, well, I had actually something I was going to say, and then Ben kind of went off and, uh, you know, I thought touched on some really important themes in the movie. So I'm just going to go into that aspect. I still have another thing I wanted to bring up, but we can get to that. So I, I will say, you know, I, I love the Quiet Place movies for, I think, a lot of the same reason that Ben does. And that is that it's such a family-focused film or a family-focused series. It's very small scale. It just kind of takes place, you know, in this one location or in a quiet place to several locations that are really geographically not that far away from each other because of the hell this world's kind of become. But I think what I really enjoy about it is it really shows, I think, a realistic take on a family. And I think what's more important is it's a realistic take on what I would classify as a good family, 
You know, this is a family where everyone supports one another. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Reagan's character is deaf. So the family has to adapt and they all learn sign language. And, you know, that's part of the kind of the, the, the crux of their survivability here in this hellscape. But just to get personal for a minute, guys, and I mean, I got to be honest, and you all kind of know what I've been through the last year. Um, this movie hit me pretty hard. There were some scenes in this movie that uh, made me tear up in the theater. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone was looking at me when we saw it, but there was one scene where I was right on the edge of crying, you know, full blown. Um, I lost my father uh, throughout the pandemic uh, at the tail end of last year, as you guys are well aware. And uh, there was just some moments where I think those themes that Ben touched on really resonated with me because, uh, I think what was the scene? Um, it's when they're, uh, they're on the Island and they're in the little gazebo. And I think Killian Murphy's character is Marcus, right? Mm -hmm. Or no, that's not no, Marcus. That's uh, the kid. Emmett. No, that's Emmett. Emmett. Yeah. Emmett. Yep. That's right. Um, where he says, you know, I'm sorry, I doubted you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not like him, but you are. And, and I've heard that so many times since my dad passed away. It really is kind of like resonates because it's like, uh, you know, she did the same thing when he made that comment to her that I've done every time I hear that. And it just really it's the first time I've really been confronted with uh, that in film since it's happened. So I feel like that that you can tell it comes from a real place. And I think that's what Krasinski and the other, you know, writing team, et cetera, whoever was kind of coming up with the thematic meat of the story that's what they're really going for it just happened to resonate with me because it's such a kind of a raw thing but i think it, it's just done so beautifully um and to see that from the first film to the second film that kind of graduation of themes and not just rehashing the same story and kind of showing that evolution is is great it was really well done yeah um i just i wanted to add to that point that you were saying because because i mean ever as i, I mean I'm a father, so it's like it's 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 an idea that you know you want to raise your kids to make the world a better place, and you want to raise your kids to be strong on their own, so that when you're gone, you, the idea of being a father is to make yourself obsolete. The real goal of being a father is to make it so that your kids don't need you, so they never need you again. So you make them strong enough that they do not need you. And that even though they love you, you could disappear and they'd be fine. That's the idea of, of fatherhood. And so like you see at the end, when you have this cathartic moment of the two siblings, you know, facing off with their, you know, with their, their demon, basically, you know, with their, with their alien and, uh, and then killing them using the ingenuity given by their father to them. And, you know, really, really the, the leg up that he had given them to survive and to thrive and, you know, using that in a way that is very obviously from their father, but also it is a tool that they're using on their own. So they've used it and they've become even stronger than maybe he even was, you know, she showed that, you know, she could figure it out. And, you know, she could figure it out and utilize the thing that they were working on. And so he, she even surpassed her father. And that would be the goal. You know, that would be the goal that, that Lee would want. So I think that's a huge point in this movie. And that's, I'm honestly the biggest point. And, um, 
And I mean, I can't, I can't say that I didn't, you know, really feel it at that point. So, yeah. That was definitely my favorite <clears throat> kind of baseline concept in this movie that they, they hit pretty hard. It wasn't just, oh, Lee's gone. We're all going to fall apart at the seams. We have no idea what to do without him. Like he, Lee and, and Evelyn had built a system to a point like they had to abandon the farm because of the the fire damage and there wasn't really a quiet way to a quiet and safe way to save what they had built after all the damage so they had to move on plus the the health damage they were going through and the baby they were just in a rough spot but it wasn't it wasn't so much oh lee's gone we're totally lost you know i love that that the the parents had built this, you know, instilled all this behavior and built a, a good system with their family that they were able to carry forward. I loved seeing that they had imparted their kids with all this knowledge of how to take care of themselves. Yeah, I think... So, oh, sorry, Jason. No, I just, uh, you know, kind of go off what Mark said there. I think that's why it really resonated with me, because that's the situation I kind of find myself in, right? I'm 30. My, my dad was 64, was completely healthy, you know, before, unfortunately, is a sequence of events. But COVID-19 ultimately was what got him, you know, that was what did it. And uh, I think exactly what you guys are saying, you know, it's like this feeling when you lose someone, and they didn't really dwell on this too much. I thought that was kind of the thing. It, it's it, because it, it mirrors my own experience, and I'm sure everyone has a different experience with this, with with loss and grief and everything. But you you feel like the world is going to fall apart, and you feel like it's going to be hard to move on. But you're still here, and you you have to move on. And that's what our the characters that we're following in the series kind of do. And I feel like going back to what I said prior about how this, I really feel it reflects a good family and, and an, an imperfect family, but a family with good values. And that kind of values the right thing is that it, they were prepared to carry on regardless of how hard that was. It's hard to leave that person behind physically, you know, emotionally, whatever, but they're gone now. And now it's time to, you know, learn from that and try to, you know, move on to whatever. Obviously this is a, experience where in, in the film it's you know apocalyptic scenario um but it can feel that way you know but i feel like having learned the lessons my father taught me he equipped me to do basically just what bill said you know to move on and i'm fixing things and i'm you know realize stuff i didn't even in the moment know he was teaching me now all of a sudden it's whoa <laughs> you know i survive six months later now and it's you know we're still living so i don't know i just felt like a lot of that tied in with my personal experience um and that's all i'll say about that but uh definitely was very poignant i thought no you can say more about that later whatever you want <laughs> it's, yeah, it's no, super it's yeah i don't want to no, dwell no, on it i don't yeah. want to be a, no, a no, downer but i i thought it was really it was done really well and, and like i said it mirrored a lot of things and and i think ultimately did it was that uplifting message which it is yeah, I think you're, I constantly bounce back and forth between the nadir and then feeling good and then feeling, you know, sad again or mourning or whatever. I don't think that ever really goes away from what I've, <laughs> I've read about and everything, but, um, ultimately prepared me for life and, you know, being my own person. And I think that's what we saw a lot of in this film, at least the idea of that. Yeah. Well, it resonates so heavily with this film. So yeah, for sure. 
I want to talk a little bit about character development here because obviously there's a lot going on. Now, I didn't see the first I didn't see the first film, but to me a Reagan her character from the onset of this movie um she was already this strong character, very opinionated. She knows what she wants and early on she kind of figures out what she wants to do and she goes at it, you know. Um, I feel like the more character development came out of uh, Noah Jupe's character, Marcus. Um, I feel like right off the bat, he was um, less confident. And there was multiple uh, points where they actually show um, his lack of confidence. And he, he panics about things. And again, not seeing the first one, but his mom is constantly just like, be calm, relax, breathe, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but to me, the biggest character development came from Killian Murphy, from uh, Emmett. Hands down. I don't want to say he's the main character here, because it's obviously they're all the main characters. But for him, it's a complete 180 from where he was at. Kind of giving up on life. His kids are dead. His wife is dead. Um, he can't even bury his wife. You know, he they showed at one point where like the corpse is still there in the upstairs, and uh, uh, Marcus finds the body and everything. That's what triggers the whole climactic event there at the uh, factory. But um, and a part of that was uh, Reagan triggered that that change in him. It was early on. It was you're nothing like him. And honestly, at the time, he kind of just brushed it to the side. You know, I want you guys out of here by morning, whatever. And by the end, that was the thing is, I'm nothing like him, but you are that whole. Um, so as you mentioned before, Jason, there was that, that big moment. But honestly, he did. He evolved so much during that that brief period in the movie. So to me, that was the biggest character development was with Emmett. Uh, ben, something to add? Yeah. Um, Reagan has most of her development in the first movie. Uh, she's the, without getting too into it. She is, you know, a deaf, a deaf girl in a world where hearing how loud you are is the most important thing in the world, you know, <laughs> like, and so that's, that's her story through the first movie. Uh, you know, the, the first, the, the first movie, I, I think we can say without getting too crazy. The first movie opens up with a, a pretty, tragic failure on her part and it's not her fault like you know she she should have known better but it's once you know it's it to blame her would be wildly unreasonable uh where she gives her the youngest brother who is obviously only seen on day one in this movie but she gives the youngest brother a toy that was deemed too loud by lee and evelyn to bring with she gives it to him anyway, and the kid activates it on the way back to the farm and is taken uh, by the alien. And so that's how her, how her arc starts, uh, and she's kind of spending the rest of the movie making up for that. Uh, and so to see her this this strong and this determined and like literally like like screw it, I'm walking out. I think it's it's it is is a continuation of her of her storyline as well. Because I, I I think even throughout this she kind of there's a part of her that blames herself for Lee's death as well, um now because he does die saving her, uh, and so she's got something to prove she's got she's got to do something to 
to help the situation because it would at least make him proud. It would make it so that he did not sacrifice himself for her for nothing, you know? So I think there's a lot going on with her there. But you're absolutely right in that Marcus has... This is really Marcus's movie. Marcus has some great moments as well in the first movie, but he's definitely not the focus. It's Reagan, whereas I think I think Marcus is a bit gets a bit more of the focus on this point. Reagan's job, and you mentioned you touch on it briefly, but Reagan's real job in this movie is to inspire an older generation that has given up any hope of the world getting better. Like that's her main thing, you know. Like he, like you said, he's given up. He's done. The world is horrible. Why even bother? And she is like, no, like, we can actually change something here. Why are you just giving up? I'm presenting all of the tools for you. And I thought that was really fun to to look at. It's like, because I, I feel that every day in my life, and I don't know about the rest of you, like, you see these younger kids who are becoming more active at a younger age, and I'm like, than we were, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's that's just really cool to see. I said it before a long time ago. I was like, Hunger Games is going to make an entire generation of, of leftist Zoomers, and I was right. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Um, I mean, they're out there doing it, you know, like it is what it is. Sure. Hope you're right. Jason. Yeah, to kind of piggyback off the conversation we're having uh, in terms of characters and development and everything, um, I was absolutely blown away by Killian Murphy in this movie. Um, I've been a fan of his for 20 years. I mean, he's he's that's the thing. He's consistently good, if not great, in everything he's in. He's a great actor, um, and I've been impressed by pretty much his performances and everything I've seen him in. But this was great because it was such kind of an understated role and he, he did such a great job embodying this character, you almost forgot you were watching him acting. Like, it was just a, it was just a person. You know what I mean? I think that's the highest compliment I could pay to an actor was that he just embodied that role so well and that pain and that, you know, sense of hope as the film kind of progressed. But I thought, you know, it was great because I know he's been active and it's not like Killian Murphy hasn't done anything, but I haven't really cross paths with him recently, you know, and, and really seen him in anything. Uh, so it was very refreshing to kind of see him up on the big screen and, uh, you know, just, uh, embodying this character so well. And one thing that was interesting as I was watching the film and this kind of gets into the story as well, but there was a few instances where I thought like, Oh, well maybe they're going to take a left turn here. Like when Marcus went upstairs, like, did he like, kill his family or are they going to play that angle or you know is he going to leave reagan behind you know when he takes the uh the speaker and the her uh, earpiece and everything else like that like you know they, they kind of toyed with some of that stuff but ultimately i thought it was refreshing that in the end it was a very clear character arc for him he wasn't a bad guy he just was as ben said kind of a, a older generation that had given up hope and needed something to really kind of relight that that fire in him um and I thought that was that was awesome. He just embodied it so well. And I just want to say that I'm really, really happy they didn't make him a bad guy because I saw that coming from a mile yeah. away. I was like, oh, God, he's going to be like betray them for safety or something or something like that. Like he for knows sure. who's out there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm really glad it didn't end up that way because I would have rolled my eyes so hard and and. John Krasinski has said, and I love this dude. I, I've loved him for a long time. I think he should play 
Mr. Fantastic. I don't love him for The Office because I'm an adult. Uh, but you should watch Jack Ryan. Ooh, I, I should watch Jack Ryan. You're absolutely right. Uh, but he said in an interview that he didn't want to do this movie. They asked him to write to write and direct, walking out of the first movie, and he's like, "No." He's like, "Why would I? Do, why would we do a sequel for this? It ends. It's over." And they're like, "Okay, sorry, we'll find someone else." And <laughs> later on, they were like, "Well, could you uh, could you at least like write like some kind of outline, just kind of give some ideas of where you think it might be able to go?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And he's like, "Cause he said like as an audience member, he didn't see a sequel. He's like as someone who he he watched the movie and he's like he he wasn't thinking as like a businessman. He wasn't thinking of as like an artist. He was just seeing, thinking as someone who watched the movie and he's like, I didn't see where this can go, so he didn't want to do it." And he started writing the outline, and finally it was like, he, he stops, and he's like, damn it, I'm writing this movie. <laughs> and he, he, they let him do it. And, but I think that's, that just shows the strength of this dude, is like, he, he, he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to do it as an audience member, not as a member of the staff. And I think that's just so fucking grounded. I don't remember why I started saying that, but it's, it's an important anecdote regardless. Um, I, that was, so that was my big second point. So I'll just say it now. Um, but basically with the quiet place part two, I remember after seeing one, I was very firmly in the camp of this does not need a sequel. They're going to ruin this. They're going to try to make it this, you know, big budget actiony thing and it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. So I was very much like, don't need to do it. And it was kind of funny because it echoes a property that I think it's very similar to aesthetically, which is the last of us felt the same way. Last of us does not need another sequel. Right. Although now I think as an aside, they should give John Krasinski the last of us. And if they don't, they're idiots, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But that was my thought going into last of us too. And it was very similar going into quiet place too. Okay. Justify your existence. You don't have to exist there. There, as I said, and it kind of goes back to our mass effect cast uh, last week, there was no part two and part three. It was written as this enclosed thing that has a beginning, a middle and an end. It's done. So now they've come back, they've tempted fate, as it were, and tried to, you know, okay, well, we're going to extend it, and here's, you know, the next part. And it worked because of John Krasinski. I absolutely feel if he wasn't involved in this, if he didn't write it, if he didn't direct it, even if with the same cast, I don't think it would have worked. I think he's the 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 piece that holds the, the glue, I guess, as it were, that kind of keeps this series together. And if they do, and I'm sure they will, do a part three, he needs to do it too and just say, hey, John, finish this off, buddy. S- send us off in a blaze of glory because if they don't, it's a mistake. But I thought it was great that it was for whatever reason, whether it's John Krasinski's humility or his kind of sense of, you know, being able to read the room and kind of understanding that, as Ben said, that's why I feel like he was able to retain the heart of the movie and kind of uh, make it a continuation that actually felt like, after the fact, oh, yeah, this really was a two-part story so far and maybe a three-part story that needs telling. So good on him. I love John Krasinski. I think he's a talented dude, but he just seems like such a genuine. He's like, dude, come on over to my house. Let's have a beer and <laughs> right. hang out in the backyard and play with my dogs. Honestly, like, I feel like he'd be, oh, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> honestly, he probably is. So you mentioned, well, obviously, you mentioned the uh, the connection that we all feel to uh, The Last of Us. It's, it's evident there um and coming back to the character of emmett clearly he didn't die uh, whether or not his wounds take him later i don't think he's going to though 
Um, this movie went away without actually killing off anyone of significance, to be honest. The main characters all survived. Do you think in the part three that is inevitably going to uh, come forth, do you think they're going to kill off either, um, we'll say, Killing Murphy, or do you think they'll kill off Emily Blunt? Because I feel like there was a moment there where she realized her kids have ascended to this level where they don't need their parents anymore in a way. Um, that, I think that was the whole thing is she was watching as um, uh, Marcus was, you know, stepping up and actually fending off this creature to protect his family. Uh, do you think they'll, the part three will, I, this is kind of just all speculation, but do you think I that will think be something else? I don't think John Krasinski is going to, is allowed to kill off his wife. Yeah. I think he'll be canceled for sure. I, I think, well, I, I think he'll be canceled from his house. If he kills <laughs> off. If, oh, you're, you're, you're cutting off my income into this house in which we have dual income in Beverly Hills. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'll go find another movie, John. Um, this is going to become a movie that exists. Oh, no, she'll be in part, she'll be the in part three. There's, they, she won't be in part four or five in 3d. Um, I, I, I think part three is going to pick up exactly where we leave off. And I think part four, if that happens, because John has said he could see this keep going now, whatever he came up with in that room where he was writing an outline, he's like, I could keep going if, if I want to. But what and if we saw an anthology? That'd be cool. Which is, like, go which is something else. we always want to see in this type of universe, but we keep like falling short. Like, honestly, let's go back to the, uh, um, what was it? The uh, damn it, Clover, I think he's Cloverfield. Even, oh yeah, I think he's. We even wanted mentioned. to see the anthology there, but it kind of fell short. It kind of like just petered off there. Well, because um, what if we saw that in this universe, I think that'd be great. Well, they. I think yeah, he's they're... mentioned uh, that he has even discussed the possibility of a series adaptation as well. Like not an adaptation, but a, a spinoff, um, continuing there the story is... somewhere else. There is a spinoff happening. I was reading about okay, it last night. Cool. Uh, it's actually in production. Uh, I think it, I don't know if it's set for next year and if it's like a series or what. It's not, it, it's like a direct to streaming type thing. It's not going to be like a theatrical release from what I read. It was very brief on IMDb and, you know, just some other just, uh, you know, media news sources. But, um, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about, well, where does the series go? Where does the universe go? Because a lot was riding on its financial performance. Obviously, it's already doing great, especially given the circumstances. So I think we get a part three, and I think that's great. It's just interesting with this type of, of thing. It's like, we're lucky, like part two, we didn't really get those diminishing returns. It was still a really great movie, great story, um, still had that heart, still had, you know, the family dynamic that we talked about uh, at the beginning of the cast. So I feel like how long do you try to stretch that out? Because right now I think Krasinski, his, he's nailing it. He, he did it twice now, and that's awesome. And I feel like maybe this is one of those things where, you know, at least for the main series, wrap up whatever his story is, do three, call it a trilogy, call it, you know, the one, two, three, part three, whatever, and then... All right, you want to do an anthology? Cool, do it. You want to do this? Do it. Cool, whatever. But have that series kind of stand the test of time. That's my thought. But if it can be done, you know, do it, John. You're the man. Come over, hang out. <laughs> he is the man. the man. Bill. <laughs> All right.
I um I well I was gonna say that if we if we continue if we do a continuation of this this story specifically, I love how they went from one to two right on the heels. And I think that's really and to me, that's me, you know, I'm not a I'm not a writer, I'm not a director, but to me as an audience member, I think that was the most satisfying way of continuing a story is to just add on as a continuation. And so like I feel like to go on to part three, like Ben said, going right off that moment and just continuing from that point. And, you know, because seeing every moment of a character's development instead of having two years later is way more satisfying to me. You know, we have this jumping off point from day one to day, what is it, 435, or I forget. Um, it was 354, I thought. Something like No, it's four. It's in the fours. Okay. okay. But yeah, yeah, you see that jump, and that's pretty much the only jump in the story. And then you pretty much see every moment, uh, you know, sequentially. So I think hitting right off uh, three, right off of two, and then seeing these massive developments at this point, you know, even... Because the, you know, the scale goes up if we do this every time, you know, like first one was a family living in the woods, whatever. And then you know, not whatever, but it's a good story. But and then, uh, you know, two, you get this more regional sort of this is what's happening with the world. And then three, you mm -hmm. have this sort of maybe solution coming to fruition. So and, you know, it's all because of a, a strong family. It's all because of a strong family that stuck together and raised everybody up. Maybe at the end, Emily Blunt dying is an option. I don't know. I think my ideal situation would be like you get your part three, you get your spinoff series, and then that's it for, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. And then we can come back with a part four directed by Violet and or Hazel Krasinski. And... Michael Bay is back, and he's ready to fucking <laughs> uh, throw and, some more explosions in this thing. And we pick up with the kids, with the kids as adults, uh, you know, after all of this. Because whether they start killing these things or not, you know, and they start getting a plan to get things together, the world's never going to be the same again, you know? Like, it's not mm -hmm. like things are just going to be like, all right, we killed them all, back to work. <laughs> like, you know, like, things will go... Things 25% will be... off at Starbucks for the next week. <laughs> yeah, congrats, we're alive, If you bring in a sale. monster head, let's go. Um, I, I think that it, uh, I think it's got, um, I think it's got potential to go further than that, you know, to be this decades-long story that could really be interesting to follow. And then, you know, then it brings on all new meanings as an audience member, you know, introducing your teenage kids to this franchise, you know, if you begin to if you begin to take it to heart. I think this I think this thing has a, has a lot of potential here, you know. And and there's definitely a, at any point it could fall. Like that's the thing too. And I think this will never be one of those too big to fail movies. It will every movie, every release, every spin-off it does is the chance for it all to collapse. But I, I think that's really exciting about it because who knows? And, and and furthermore, I just want to say that it this is one of the few movies in the world that I think actually probably still like uh, I'm I'm all for cutting out the franchises and the sequels now at this point. Like stop it. But I think this has potential to go further and we should embrace that because this tells real people's stories better than most movies do in the context of a very strange sci-fi world. And it uses filmmaking techniques that are different and exciting and fun, you know? So 
I have to ask you guys a question. What if this movie actually sets up for a perfect uh, crossover and actually sets up the movie uh, from 1997 starring Kevin Costner, The Postman? What Never if this is it. how it begins? <laughs> Jason's thinking Being about a huge, it. Being a huge Postman fan. Jason's thinking um, about it. Yeah, he's thinking I actually, about it. I actually have a giant poster of Kevin Costner on the other side of my Fuck office. You, Colin. From the postman, where he's like walking across the plains or whatever, and he's got his mailbag. Yeah. By the way, that movie takes place in 2013. Let that sink in Mm. for a minute. Gotcha. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, I wanted to bring up one thing, too, uh, just kind of discussing more the sci-fi elements, I guess. I think we really talked beautifully about the story and the characters and everything else like that. Um, It's just kind of interesting to me. I, I, I like how this film handles world building, and I thought that that prologue sequence was just brilliantly done you know what is more apple pie americana than the you know saturday afternoon or friday friday night baseball game little league game and here oh look up in the sky you know um like i've always loved it is kind of a trope i guess but you really don't see it ever done and, and if it is done it isn't done as well as it was done in quiet place part two but just the world going to shit but being at that ground level, you know, w- what's going on? We don't know what happened. Uh, the, the first time, you know, that the monster crashes into that car and John Krasinski's like, nope, <laughs> and then runs to the truck. Like, you feel that anxiety. And I think that's the great thing about this series is you're just constantly stressed out and just constant anxiety, even when things are loud as shit in the beginning there, you know, before they know, okay, well, hey, you got to be quiet. I mean, then that becomes its own sort of tension and anxiety, but just how well that sequence was handled, I thought was awesome. And I love that. I love that kind of uh, seeing seeing the th- as things go to hell as what I was really hoping that uh, fear the walking dead would do. And they Mm -hmm. did in the first like two episodes and then, you know, (laughs) did whatever they did. But like, it was cool because you were seeing it as it was happening. And uh, I've always really enjoyed that. And then to do kind of some of the other world building things they did with the creatures. Cause as I think someone said, you know, the, the premise that they were aliens was like on a whiteboard somewhere, like out of frame, you know, like you, if you saw it, you saw a cool little Easter egg, whatever, but it was never really expanded on or talked about because that wasn't the point of the movie. It's not in the first important. one. Yeah. Yeah. But for them to do that and to do it so tastefully where it's kind of making these connections and it's, you know, using the, oh, the, the news broadcast or like things that ne- aren't necessarily the focus, but then we're able to start piecing that stuff together as an audience, I thought was great. And just the fact that the monsters are so, the aliens are so voracious and i don't know they're just so so alien you can't talk to them you can't reason with them they're beasts they're monsters literally in every sense facet of the word but one thing i wanted to ask i mean obviously everyone please give me your opinions on that but they never really establish like they they're violent they kill people but you don't see them like eating people or anything like I that. Was so, or, I, 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 I was, was wondering curious, about that i was wondering while i was watching the movie yeah killing for sport or what because you see them just tearing people down they hear the sound they go after it but i think it's interesting and those might be questions that a part three or beyond could answer is you know because we've already now established well they can't swim you know we've learned a lot about them in these two you know three hours so far of films but i don't know just really interesting like what makes them tick because they're not hunting for food. At least they haven't established that yet. You know, they came in on meteors, but like, how did they survive that trip? Where they how, know, did, how did they of... how did they become space travelers and all that? Yeah. Well, I have a I have did a strong theory about that. Did somebody else send them to Earth? 
I think they were dumped. I because they Ooh. they didn't come in on ships. They came in on a meteor. I think they were dumped because it's that I've always loved the Earth is a prison planet theory of of our existence. Like this is where uh, they put creatures. You know, uh, some space faring group put creatures that were uh, too important to. Uh, not just commit genocide on, but not so important that they wanted us around. And so, so they explain the platypus then. Why is the platypus here? <laughs> but I think um, I think they were dumped here <laughs> because it, it was on this like big meteor thing, and that that thing was the size of something that should have. And maybe this is an oversight, uh, but that thing was the size of something that should have like taken the planet out, and it didn't. You know, when it hit, it just landed. It, so it, it, it had to very... be engineered, right? Yeah. Or if it wasn't like a situation where they were dumped, it may have been a situation where it's like, no, I think that's the best case scenario. Or, or assuming that it was an oversight that the meteor would have wiped out the planet, um, then maybe it was like that. Whatever they did ended up destroying whatever last planet they were on, and this is just a piece of rock that ended up crashing here they're obviously very hard to kill they could probably survive space travel you know fairly well uh and so yeah i think that's that's a fun thing also uh it's it's a specific note that there is nothing left of the child that dies in the first one as well he is just taken he is picked up and gone uh not even that like he's not even picked up like the creature like dives out of the forest and crosses the path and falls into the other trees and is gone. It's a they, great they, scene. They do that at several points, though. I mean, yeah. what what got me in, in Jason's question here, <clears throat> they're, they show a mix of both, you know, vacant streets, bodiless streets, and areas where there are fully decomposed corpses. Like, they clearly died, but were not you know, eaten or taken for some purpose. But there are also, like, populated areas that they showed, even in the opening sequence of this movie, there were littered bodies, and there's nothing when they go to come back to hunt for medicine or whatever. It so, like, it's curious. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about sort of physiology of these creatures which is cool because now we're getting to the sci-fi part of sci-fi yeah um, it's uh it's really cool to notice that like they don't have much olfactory they don't smell chemicals they don't smell you know molecules coming off of humans they're not like dogs mm -hmm. you know they have hearing they have auditory they have vibration they can feel right. vibration basically kind of use sonar it seems like Exactly, exactly. That's exactly right. And so it's like, you don't have vision, you don't have smell. And, you know, what's the, what is, how do they feed? How do they, you know, what do they do? And it's like, there's so many questions about this. And I think a lot of people had a lot of questions at the beginning, at the first movie. They answered some, and now there's plenty more that could be explored. And like you said, <clears throat> I think that it had to be engineered. I think that the meteorite had to be engineered simply for the fact that that is something that everybody knows. Everybody's seen enough disaster films and disaster documentaries to know a large meteorite hitting the atmosphere will cause an explosion that will kill everything, especially that large. 
And so ev- so every piece of that production had to know that going into it. Sure. And so it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable to say, okay, this meteorite coming from space slowed way down and then hit the atmosphere. No, that's not what's going to happen. So it had <clears throat> to be engineered. It had to be deliberate. And I think maybe they're attack dogs. Maybe they're maybe they're bioengineered. Maybe they're, you know, it's entirely possible that they're bioengineered because vibration would probably be the, you know, other than seeing light is probably one of the, you know, most reliable ways of sensing things going on around you. Sure. Yeah, I I, I could definitely, I definitely see that. And not to kind of like bring the story back because I love that the discussion we're on right now, but um, it is 100% obvious that the writers of the first movie, uh, Brian Woods and Scott Beck, um, just played uh, The Last of Us and then we're like, oh, this would be a great, these monsters are great, this would be a great movie, we should write this. Because I'm pretty sure, like, they even look like they're fucking... They have some similarities, they have some similarities to clickers. It's 100% they played the game and went, let's write a movie. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) But but really, with like you know, different different themes at the end of the day. Like it is it is its own thing. Like it's not a rip off. Uh, they're they're not stealing the the characters. They're stealing the monsters and all. Right. That. Yeah. Because like you know, in even like uh, like the whole thing with, with like you got to be around. You got to be quiet when you're around a clicker. But when you're away from a clicker, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Like this thing is like you start talking, and it doesn't matter if there's one five miles away. It's coming. And it's just, it's all a matter of when at that point. And that's, that's even, like, could you imagine if the swarms of clickers were just, like, had that kind of radius? Like, oh my god, that could... Well, Ben, as it turns out, we have with us here tonight a, a clicker? clicker? Oh my god, guys! Somebody, Come on! Somebody oh, walks hey. in, their head explodes. <laughs> like, oh, fuck! <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, that is something that I wondered, too. They clearly ignore so much of the animal life. You know, well, they, the animal life is dead. It's gone. Just the birds are all that's left. Birds are all that's left. Maybe they realize every time they chase the fucking birds, they can't catch they them. Fly away. So they yeah. just stopped. Everything else is dead. You don't see any other wildlife except for birds. The fish are safe. Know that, that is true. Sure. true. You see, uh, fuck the oh. fish. The fish are gone. Um, Though it's entirely possible that that humans started killing their dogs. Yeah. No. Big time. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, out of necessity. One other thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd, you'd, I mean, yeah. You have no you'd choice. Have to. I mean, it's, it's kind of established that, you know, it's put a lot of people in this world in a, a kind of a difficult spot when they have family members who are injured or in pain or, you know. Or a baby. Like a baby, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, it's, it's tricky, right? It, it kind of creates an entire new, which I think is one of the ingenious things in the movie. It creates a, an entire new kind of class of problems to be solved where it's not just survival anymore, you know, and that was, I think the genius of the first one and why it was so inventive with a lot of what it did. You know, there's so much silence in these two movies um, and to, to turn silence into, uh, as I think I said before, just a, a source of tension and dread and like, uh, what, what's the scene at the end of this where I think uh, Colin just said that, I think you and her had a good interaction when she was like climbing through the window and you see all these things on the desk that can fall. You have the the mug and the pens and the open, you know, drawer. And it's like, 
you know, and we're all just sitting at the edge of our seat. And even in our theater, a year and a half into the pandemic, you know, things are starting to return to normal. People stopped eating popcorn. People stopped taking a drink. Uh, you know, it's just dead quiet. And it was cool because I had that same experience in the theater for the first film. And I just remember how weird that was being in a movie theater and it being complete dead silent. Because no matter what the movie is, you're always going to hear someone rustling their, you know, their popcorn or slurping their Coke or whatever, you know, or texting. Like there's always something going on, but it's just it really plays into that and kind of breaks that wall, which is super cool. I do want to share that in the, the first when I saw the first film in theaters. A fairly new concept. And to be fair, a lot quieter the first one is than the second one. There's a lot less noise in the first one uh, because that's the gimmick. Mm. And uh, someone didn't get the memo, and they were very very clearly confused about the goings-on of the film. And I, they were asking someone a lot of questions. And I, I, to be fair, I don't think they were trying to be rude. I, did, I, I don't think they realized that this was a this like people could hear you at this point. You know, like people talk in the movies every once in a while, whisper to each other. You never realize people. It was silent in there, and so finally, someone goes, "Hey, we can hear you, just so you know." And they're like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> and that was that. You know, it was fine. And so I, I, that was a fun. I, I always think back to that when people are like, "Oh, theaters are awful. They're full of rude people." I'm like, "No, it, <laughs> no it's funny." Is I think they're. You always assume that there's just jackasses who don't give a fuck, but I think there are a special amount of people that just don't realize the effect they have on their environment. They're yeah. talking without Absolutely. realizing it's affecting everyone else in the theater. Yeah, which is why you always have to cherish those people who say. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which, Ben, I've heard you literally say that. Oh, theater's my and temple, then, dude. Like, do, do not you remember, talk. Do you, remember, do you remember people were, like, laughing and making jokes constantly, and you said, shut the fuck up, and then they started laughing, and then someone else in the theater said, or get yes. the fuck out, and they were just yeah. dead silent after oh that. My God. I do remember that. Yeah. What movie That's was that great. for? I don't, it doesn't matter. I, <laughs> it a good movie, probably. All I know is we were sitting in the left side of the... Anyway, um... So I wanted to talk about, so we're talking about like tension, right? So we're talking about like, oh, tension, which is like the silence that happens. And I, I and I know this, I know everybody's going to be like, eh, parent. But like when the tension that I felt when that baby was in the box and the oxygen was on red. You weren't alone, man. That tension was fucking visceral. I was like shuffling my hair, like shuffling in my seat. Like, come on, come on. Don't kill a baby in this movie. Don't fucking kill a baby in this movie. Like, right, I don't yeah. walk out. Like, But if anyone should do it, it should be John. <laughs> well, that's what's funny is like when you break it down and think rationally, you're like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt will not allow the death of a baby uh -uh. in this movie. Yeah. Not one bit. Nope. But not like you're, in, you're so in the moment, you're like, oh, God, they might actually fucking do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no, right. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is like my number one fear. My my number one fear as a parent is leaving my child in somebody's care and they say, I got it. Everything's fine. And I was like, I understand that you think that, but there are <laughs> factors that you don't know that will happen. And, and yeah. then my child will, you'll, you won't think anything of it. You'll leave the basement door cracked 
and then the dog will be in the same room and the child will be standing at the top of the stairs and the dog will get excited and run down the stairs and they'll knock down the and that maybe that's anxiety i don't know but uh <laughs> i think parenthood is just constantly coming up with every perfect storm possible which i did with the first kid the first kid is the roughest because you come up with every single it's like it's like the feeling of standing at the edge of a cliff constantly and like so like so like there's that and then the second kid is he's good he'll survive <laughs> he'll survive, he'll survive. He'll survive. He'll I, i've seen the worst of the worst he'll be fine one last thing i wanted to, it was the last thing i had on my notes that i wanted to touch on was that scene on the dock because I thought that scene was fucking awesome. Oh God, yeah, so just great. the way it was done, the the way it was. And that was the thing, too. Usually I'm not as big of like a, a technical film person. I, I usually like the context of things and we talk about themes. And that's kind of like my thing usually. Or uh, I like comparing it with, you know, whatever came before if it's a series. But just like the way that that scene was like lit and shot, the cinematography, um, the tension of that scene. Because uh, that's like the first time, really, in this in this world, we've kind of come across other humans, right? And humans that maybe don't have that in them anymore, where they can have the best interests of another, you know, person or whatever. Like these are people that very obviously in the film were going to do bad things, and um, I just thought the whole you know, way that they use the child to kind of be a decoy or whatever, and then through the noose around Killian Murphy's neck with the soda cans and noisemakers and bottles and all that stuff it was just great. But the ensuing fight too, I thought was awesome and a great character moment for, uh, for, uh, Killian Murphy for Emmett. I just thought that was just knock your socks off. Like John, well done. You know, yeah. I, I just thought that scene was so cool. Yeah. It's like, how can humans, uh, become like innovate in, the apocalypse like that's well, what it was it was like the cans everything. Yeah, right? it's, like, it's like oh well, how can we innovate being horrible <laughs> well they, they definitely set it up they, they set that whole scene up with um emmett saying early on like they're not who you think they are anymore absolutely like, the people that are still around they're not like human anymore they're like, not worth saving he kind of hints at that but i love the way that he bounces back from going like okay i got this thing around my neck i'm fucking stuck here yeah she's about to be taken and then he just starts like and that it all was planned out in his head, the way that he did everything. He got the earpiece back, or what do you call that? Uh, hearing aid? Yeah, the cochlear implant. Yeah. yeah, he got that back, and he like ties the dude to the fucking post. And I love it when he takes the knife and just jabs it Stabs into his him in the leg. It was leg, also yeah. calculated. Like, you think he's like frozen with fear and like, what's going to happen? But his mind was working the whole time. Yep. I fucking loved that. That was such a great scene. Oh, and then scene. he's in the water and the noose is still connected and he's fighting against it. And you start seeing mm -hmm. all these different perspective shots from underwater back on the dock. Yeah, he's underwater cool. looking at the dock and you see the creature just tearing into that, you know, head honcho guy. Head um, honcho. I just thought it was so cool oh, and, and the so blood well just done. Like, the water just turns red yeah. all of a sudden. Like, oh, that was so good. Well, yeah, and all. it was great, too, that um, they, they did that. And they didn't dwell on it because it would have been so easy for them to get to that island. And then it's like a fucking Walking Dead fake out where, oh, they're cannibals. And, you know, they had mm -hmm. the, you know, the Bobby I Darren it was song. Be that on too. The... I was really happy <laughs> exactly. it wasn't. And it was like, I was glad when they showed up and like they're singing Kumbaya and they've got marshmallows on the fire. And it's like, oh, cool. Okay. Well, <laughs> it was great because that, I think that ultimately is the crux of like my main takeaway as I am want to say, right, 
it was simple. It's a simple story. He's not necessarily subverting all these things, but it's it's almost in the subversion of the subversion. <laughs> that's what makes it so you know so so good. That's so, it. That that's it. I my, I have one last thing. Oh, sorry. After you're done, I have one last thing. Okay. <laughs> one last thing. Uh, I can't believe we talked so long about this movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, right? Let's go see it. Like if you made it this far, you've really ruined yourself here if you haven't seen it. Uh, it hit me while we were talking about it. I saw a poster, and I was like, oh, shit. So I just wanted to revisit one last time, and I won't repeat anything I said, but just I want to discuss, revisit the how I talked about raising these kids up to take care of themselves in a cruel world. The tagline of the movie is, silence is not enough. And I think, and that got my brain going, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, getting these kids to no longer be silent in the face of, I don't know if we would call it tyranny, but, you know, a, a hellish situation. You know, they literally, they don't use their voice, but they, they do a little bit. Use, they use volume. They use, the, they use the act of not being quiet to defeat the creatures. And I was like, oh, shit, John. Not just, not just <laughs> awesome themes. But timely, and he didn't even know. He didn't even know how timely he was going to be. I mean, they're you know, they're they're themes that should always be talked talked about and have been talked about for a very long time. But after this last year, incredibly timely. So I thought I, I saw that, and I just wanted to call attention to it. Yeah, oh, I just yeah, that's great. I, I want to go back to the creatures. I just really want to make a quick note. This is a Bill Jarvis original. Did not Google it anything, but my idea is that maybe these creatures are the disposable exterminators and that they are just the vanguard of sort of like an invading force. That's an idea that just came to mind because you I know you have these creatures that destroy anything that moves, right? They're fast. They're efficient. They don't eat, they don't sleep and they just destroy, right? They're basically machines by a bio, you know, they're biological, but they're basically creatures that just destroy. Right. And so you wipe out any sort of moving creature on the ground and, you know, maybe and they're not that sentient. Right. So they're, maybe they're just the dogs. Maybe they're just the dogs they send in first to rouse everybody up and to destroy them. And then the real thing comes in after that. That's an idea. Probably not true, but it's an idea that, that just came to mind. Hey, it's a great idea. Would you say that they are the harbinger, or I'm sorry, the, the vanguard of our destruction? I think they're the vanguard of our destruction, yeah. Would you say that they are the harbinger of our doom? I think that maybe there's some sort of force out there that wants to destroy all organic life at a certain point in its evolution. You know, I could track that. That, that could probably maybe. be. That'd be a good story. Maybe. You know, these guys story. do kind of look like keepers. <sighs> they do. Not collectors, keepers. Co keepers. Okay, <laughs> yeah, they do look like keepers. Well, well done, Ben. All right, boys. Um, before we, oh man, before we go off in another, another section, because wow, I didn't think we would actually go that deep into this movie. Right. Um, I but, did. Uh, <laughs> Jason's like, I knew we were going exactly where we were going the entire fucking time. I knew the exact um, depth. No, but uh, I want to go around the table and I want to know if this was good sci-fi and if it was a good movie. I think I know what people are going to say here, but I always, I always like to just be sure of it. So we're going to start with uh, Marky Mark, Mr. Funky Bunch over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I very much enjoyed the movie. I wasn't sure how we would link it to sci-fi so much. 
um, in the beginning. But then we always kind of use the the marker of questioning your humanity as a sci-fi staple. And these these types of movies always kind of make you think, how do you, you know, how do you process your day your day to day? Like what what is existence to you? And you see them living in this uh, you know this kind of restricted way, and you wonder like, you know, is this really is it really living? Like they can't do a lot of the things that they want to do. They have to constantly be watching themselves, and you have to process kind of how <clears throat> how it's still how it's still life, and how they're still enjoying it, and there's so much to gain and give in a world like this and i think it's a i I think it would qualify as good sci-fi based on that um they're still able to you know create a community and like a family in in a world like this i think i think it's good sci-fi all right thank you mark um moving on to jason yeah, I, I know I talked a lot on this episode, but it was just felt like there's a lot to say about it. Uh, so I, I won't go back into anything I haven't already said, but I thought it was a phenomenal movie. In a lot of ways, I think it's better than the first movie. Um, it's at least as good as the first movie, which I think is, like I said, a testament to John Krasinski and the cast um, for really making it something special. I thought it was great sci-fi too. I think it explores a lot of the themes we talked about tonight in uh, a different way than we might see in a typical kind of big budget blockbuster film. I, I don't think it may be that at the end of the day, but I don't think it aspires to be that. I think it really wants to stay grounded in this family story with a lot of heart. And that's cool because, you know, we don't necessarily see that as much, I think, in a lot of the properties we cover. Uh, so I hope that the series can kind of maintain that trajectory. And if we do get a part three and that's the end kind of finishes out strong and, um, you know, continues to really maintain that sense of heart and family. And, uh, I think someone said it earlier, just kind of propping everyone up and, and really, you know, trying to find everyone's place in this post-apocalyptic world and kind of make strengths out of perceived weaknesses. Uh, so yeah, great, great film, great sci-fi uh can john do it a third time we'll see we'll see we'll see i don't know i think he can though who's to say he's a babe you know what john prove it fucking prove you can do it a third time yeah i double dog dare you yeah we we will we will see but i I have uh i have good faith in in his uh capabilities uh thank you jason ben young yeah great sci-fi uh is i you know i've said it before and i'll say it again we don't need space and time travel and, you know, dialogue that no one understands, Chris Nolan, for it to be sci-fi. Uh, all we need is a little bit of what if, a little bit of science and a little bit of fiction, you know? And when that happens, you get to analyze it. You know, we always, something we always say is like, oh, we haven't talked about the sci-fi, but we have talked about the sci-fi because we talked about the themes as cool as concepts and you know, world building and stuff is to talk about the important part of sci-fi is the themes. And so I I think this was great sci-fi. I think it really nailed its themes using through its sci-fi lens very well. Uh, you know, we've, we talked ad nauseum about it, so I'm not going to say anything else. Great sci-fi. All right, Ben, thank you very much. Uh, Bill Jarvis. Uh- I'd say it's good sci-fi. Um, it's actually really fantastic. Um, 
there's a lot of places it could go. Uh, one little issue that I found with my preferred way that this could be continued is the age of the actors. That would probably be an issue trying to go off the heels of this. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll have to die. It's just not, it's not an option. But, um... Is not optional. That's what I meant to say. It's actually really cool to, to realize this is a PG-13 movie and it's sort of, you know, it's gruesome, but at the same time, it's more existential horror at the same time. So it's really, really nice to see that sort of combination to have family, a family sort of centered, not even like oriented, a family centered science fiction film is really, really cool to see. And I hope I see more of it in the future. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Bill. Um, I guess I'll just finish off here. Uh, to me, this is a great movie. I absolutely enjoyed it, even though I, I had a massive headache the entire time. Aww. I was miserable, and I still fucking loved the movie, and I had fun. Um, so that just shows how strong it is. Um, for me, there's always that ever-present uh, check box that I need out of a movie for it to be good sci-fi, and that is... Uh, does this explore what it means to be human and to be a better person? Um, I think it does. I think it absolutely does. Um, and I think it really puts in a frame like it's not just about uh, can you be a good human, but can you contribute to our species, to the survival of our species? I, that's really important. I think people should honestly, aside from just reproducing, it's can you instill those values in the next generation? And can that generation actually pick up what you're putting down and keep going forward? Uh, that was huge. That's a major part. And I, I loved it. So, um, yes, good movie, good sci-fi. I'm glad I watched it. I can't wait for uh, part three when we find out it was uh, an extra terrestrial alliance of aliens that are trying to destroy the human race. Um, big budget. I want Michael Bay to direct it. I just want John to write it. I think it'll be great. Um, no. Um, I, thought so you were gonna, it, I thought you were going to say for part three, when we find out it was all a dream. Oh, I no. That would, I, they, I cannot they, wait for the Transformers they, crossover with this. They oh beam God. up uh, Regan and take her to that uh, planet hub thing that they have in uh, Valerian. We're all the <laughs> Speaking of crossovers, I, I would be remiss to not mention the uh, when he walked up to the girl on the dock. The all I could think was uh, uh, Left for Dead, the witches. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. I thought of that. That's too. all yeah. I could think. I was like, yeah, totally. I was like, wait, do they come in? Do they come like in little girl size now? Like, oh god, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, I think uh, I think if you can get Channing Tatum into the next uh, the next installment, I think that'll be really great. Maybe he has like dog ears or something. I don't know. Um, so, all right, folks, there you have it. That is our uh, that is our take. That is our feelings on the movie A Quiet Place Part Two. Uh, that was a good one. I'm really glad that we uh, ended up doing this. So, I'm glad we what a year later, a yeah. year plus later, yeah. we finally got to talk about it. So. That is awesome. Ben, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but next week we are doing Terminator correct. 2, T2 as it's known. So uh, we should have a special guest on for that one, uh, a good friend of the podcast. Uh, so I hope you, you can... guys, if you haven't seen it already, get the fuck on it. Because if you haven't seen T2, why are you listening to this podcast, to be honest? Just being honest. It's so. kind of quintessential. 
Kind of. You know what? We need we need uh, to alienate more of our audience. Let's do that. I mean, well, well, then go see it. It's it is it is the great. It is. I'm not even gonna say one of. It is the greatest sci-fi action film of all time. I I can't disagree. So, I can't disagree. Yeah. So Just see um, it. Oh, hey, now we don't have to do yeah, it next week. It. So what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great all sci-fi. Right. No, uh, next all right. up on the list. Spy kids. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> don't. All right. Let's not do that. Until next time. Sorry, my dog's screaming outside. One second. Bill, I know this is a weird time to tell you, but you don't have a dog. Yeah, that tracks. Um, <laughs> that, that was a giant possum. <laughs> a giant possum. A giant whippet-shaped possum. No, honestly, so so Jess and I, we went to Crown Point to get coffee, and we were coming back, and there's this old woman, and she must have had, like, cataracts or something because she got those big-ass glasses on, and she was walking this tiny little dog, and I swear I thought it was a possum. And I wanted to be like, lady, I know you're hard of seeing or hard of sight, but that is not a dog. That's a part of What are you saying? What but are it was you just, saying? It was, it was just, it was just a little old what? dog, but it but looked Fifi like a possum. Is so beautiful. <laughs> no, we, we, went to, uh, we went to a friend's uh, like, <laughs> a birthday celebration this past weekend, and there was like cat decorations on the wall for it. <laughs> One of the cats straight up looked like a fucking possum. It's like, yes! What the fuck? I think my comment <laughs> at uh, at the birthday was, I wonder how many of these cats are dead. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like little cutouts of like cat faces. Probably most of them. Probably most of them. Yeah. Well, it's Dang. part of their contract. They die after their photo mm-hmm. is taken? Yeah, it's 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 intellectual so it's like property. If yeah. your photo is taken, does that steal your soul though? No, no, mostly dying does that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that tracks. Mostly. <laughs>